The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. So C.S. Lewis wrote, how many of you are familiar with screw tape letters? All right. So he wrote it. He actually dedicated it to um, Tolkien. Um, but it was a, for those of you who don't know, it was written from this perspective of the devil, and he was training his nephew, who was a little demon, um, in how to torment Christians. And so um, his name is Wormwood, the nephew, and Wormwood actually means a state of, or source of bitterness or grief, if you didn't know that, I didn't know that. Um, so it says, my dear Wormwood, I was thrilled to hear that you've been making process, progress with the horrific organization called the church. It was the enemy's plan to use her to reach the world, but I am pretty sure we have distracted her enough from his mission to make the church look weak and powerless. No matter what, never mention to anyone the dunamis power that has been given to all who call him Lord. And good news, we have caused enough division and doubt that very few believe in the supernatural anymore. At least very few are stepping out in that horrific act called faith anymore. Nope, they are playing it safe, going to church when convenient, and hopping around looking for the perfect church rather than resting in the fact that they are complete in the enemy. The key in them is being rooted, and dividing them is better. And better yet, let them watch the service on TV so they can't even be connected with the other believers. And you are making progress from what I hear with the mothers in the church. They feel overworked, unappreciated, and discouraged. I'm so glad to hear it. If you tread carefully, this can be a great opportunity. With the kids waking her up every night and the teens talking back, we already have a huge advantage. A tired mom makes for a more emotional mom, and an emotional mom is a vulnerable mom. I do have a few tips for you going forward. First, aim your best efforts at her marriage. As you know, we can't do much with a unified marriage. Luckily for us, a cranky and exhausted wife can do wonders for that. We must convince her that her husband is no longer her friend and ally she first married. Instead, we must reveal every sin and selfish habit, especially drawing attention to his thoughtless actions, malintended or not, against her. Constantly whisper to her that she married the wrong guy. Your goal is to make her think that her husband doesn't notice her, or even better, that doesn't care about her efforts at home. Remind her how much her back aches, how draining her kids are, and how many tasks are still undone. Don't let her wonder what difficulties her husband has had or whether his back might be aching. Valuing others above oneself is one of those silly, those strangely effective tactics of the enemy. If she stops to make him a cup of coffee, the next thing you know, she'll be rubbing his shoulders and flirting with him on the couch. It can progress out of your control if you are not careful. Along those lines, be sure the mother starts to value productivity over everything else. Convince her that, her that if there is a shred of work to be done, and there always is, no one should be resting. A caution here. Remember, the love of a husband can be dangerous to our cause. If he senses her unhappiness, he may begin to help, or even worse, show her affection. And as we both know, the ultimate act of marriage can bond them together in a way that can, be, that can undo much hard work that we have progressed in. Because of this, do not allow her to prioritize that act on her mental to-do list. It is in our best interest to keep the wife busy, 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 and be sure that she is far too exhausted to consider it by the evening. And now on to the children. Lovely little opportunities for us, especially the little ones. 
We know that the children are a favorite tool of the enemy. He calls them blessings and gifts and calls parents to lay down their lives for him, just as the son did. Insane, I know. We must convince her that these obnoxious little people that she has charge of are not really worth her sacrifice. Do your best to shatter her expectations of herself daily and just wait when they get to be teens. They really help us. Draw attention to how much energy they take from her, that they take, 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 and need, need, need until a mother feels totally spent. Let them start crying at the same time for the most irrational reasons. Let, them bo- noise, let the noise bother her. Let, her. let their bad behavior surprise her. Do your best to make the day-to-day monotony of diaper changes, meals, and baths seem simultaneously overwhelming and beneath her. Don't let her think about the future responsible, faithful adults that she is raising. Society changers, friends, workers, husbands, and wives. Don't let her think of them as long-life companions who will love her, converse with her, and care for her in her old age. Oh, definitely don't let her think about those grandchildren she might be able to see if she looks into her children's faces long enough. And if you don't progress provoking her to resent them, push her to idolize them. Tempt her to put them before her prayer time, her marriage, her Bible study, and her Sunday service. Flood her with opportunities to miss church and instead go to birthday parties, sports, games, sleeping in. Our greatest threat is that Sunday mornings at church become non-negotiable. This will strengthen the family bond and make them much harder to derail. See, if moms and dads see see church as an option for Sunday, you better believe little Jake will see it as unimportant and therefore eventually not go at all. Godly habits in the family, like devotions, prayers, and putting us first, putting God first, are our kryptonite. Spread the message of grace and all things that their roadmap is, is out of date and simply suggestions. If there is any last piece of advice I have for you, Wormwood, it's to keep the mother looking to her husband and her family for her fulfillment and comfort. We know that the enemy is always watching and willing to take the burdens of her children of his children. But if we divert the mother's attention well enough, this fact can be forgotten. Make, it, make her look at her husband for her worth and affirmation. Then when, she, when he lets her down, as he sure will do, she will be ours to torment. Yes, the worst thing that could happen would be for her to turn to him, our enemy, with his, her needs and inadequacies. Once she realized that the enemy offers a peace that transcends our situation, our work could be utterly compromised. Your evil doing, Uncle Screwtape. I think that's so good. I, I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's amazing to see. And I think um, uh, C.S. Lewis started writing this as he was one morning laying in bed wanting to miss worship for church. And then he realized, well, wow, this is just a, a tool of the enemy and how the enemy does what he does to keep us away from gathering, right? Because the Lord says, don't forsake the gathering of the believers, right? He calls us, and the enemy wants to do everything he can to divide and separate our families, our churches, and anything that we can do for his kingdom. Um, but we've been in this, this is our third week in our Experiencing God's Power series. And Pastor Brian has done such an amazing job of just pouring into us and setting up that the, our hunger has it increased your hunger yeah it's it's been amazing and if i have learned anything it is that in order to experience god's power we have to walk by faith see god doesn't move based on need he bo- moves based on faith if you move based on need 
then we wouldn't have any hungry people. We wouldn't have any homeless, right? But he moves based on our faith. And um, that's really our first point of the day, is that God moves not based on our need, but according to our faith. And Mark eleven twenty two says, And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whenever you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Our faith in God moves mountains. Matthew twenty one twenty two says, and, ask, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Faith in God moves God. 1 Corinthians 2, 5 says, that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Our faith can only be faith in God. It can't be in our actions. It can't be in ourselves. It, can, it has to all be in God, in God moving. Hebrews eleven six says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Faith in God is rewardable. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Faith in God is how we are to live. And you know, you may be like, what are you talking about? How do we put our faith in something? We put our faith in something by believing the word of God and standing on the word of God versus putting our faith in our feelings, right? Our feelings change, our emotions change, our hormones change. Everything changes in the world, but God's word never changes. And this book is full of 7,500 promises that we can stand on despite what we see. So faith in God is how we experience God and his power. And if we don't walk out in faith, we won't experience his power. If we stay safe, we stay in a place where what we, can, we are comfortable with what we can control. And so my second point this morning is experiencing God's power and to live in faith is an invitation for more. It's an invitation for preparation. You know, how many of us like suffering? Okay, we're pretty much unanimous on that. Suffering's not fun. Suffering is hard. But God promises to work all things to the good for those who love him. But what does it take when we're going through suffering to get through suffering? When we're going through hard times, when we don't see the end, when we don't have the answer, when we feel like, I don't even see God moving in this situation. First of all, it's knowing our identity and knowing that we are children of God. We are not orphans. We have not been left. He promises he will never leave us nor forsake us. He promises that the righteous are never forsaken. He promises that there's no good thing that he will withhold from those who walk uprightly, right? But we have to know our identity as children. Because if we act like orphans, orphans grab, orphans need to, to push people out of the way to get all that they can because they don't know where their next thing is coming from. But as children of God, we walk by faith, we stand on the word of God, and we trust in the word of God. We don't trust in men, we don't trust in pastors, we don't trust in church, we trust in God. Because and with this is his bride, we are his bride. He's coming back, and will he come back for a faithful a faith-filled bride. Will he come back? Is he waiting on us to rise up in our faith? Is he waiting on us to surrender to the process of preparation? You know, God doesn't offer author suffering, but he will use it because he uses all things, right? And so he doesn't 
want the bad situations that are going in our lives. Oftentimes, I don't know about you, but I'm the one causing my bad situation, right? With my bad mouth or whatever, my bad thoughts, my bad this. But he will make it good if I turn it into him, if I if turn it to him, if I stand on the fact that, Lord, you say that you're going to work this to the good. You're going to move my, mightily. But knowing that everything will be used as preparation. Think of the hard things in your life that, that maybe you have gone through, that you're over, right? They've gotten past. Hasn't God made that good? And if he hasn't made it good, it's not over because he promises to work all things to the good. But then think about the struggles to today, the answers that you don't know, the, the things that you the, feel like God has put in your heart that just have not come to pass. And then, and then trust. Put your trust in the process. See, there's something in us that he's working out. God, Jesus, when he died on the cross and he said, it is finished, he fulfilled everything. We're not waiting on Jesus. He's waiting on us. He's waiting us to align with his word and his will. He's waiting us to throw off everything that hinders us so that we can run the race that's set before us. He's waiting on us to throw off good and throw off bad so that we can have best, right? But it's up to us. It's up to us. And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So it's not condemnation, but it's an invitation for more. It's an invitation for his power. It's an invitation if we stay safe, Where's our faith? But if we go out and we reach every single person in the park and every person at the market and every person at our workplace and we, and we go home and get on our knees and say, forgive me, I've fallen short. I've been in the flesh for 37 years. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> no. But if we are able to deal with the hard stuff in our life, deal with our addictions, deal with our shortcomings, not alone, not apart from Jesus, but with Jesus. But when we're able to look at the thing and say, I'm, I'm failing my family. I'm failing my work. I'm not doing the best I can do at work. I'm, I'm cutting corners. I'm not, I'm not walking in this. Jesus, help me. He doesn't want us to do it without us. He didn't create us to do it without him. But the invitation is, if you want to experience God's power, let's deal with what's on your plate today. Let's deal with the hard things. Let's be bold enough to say, I'm struggling in my marriage, or I'm struggling as a parent. I don't feel like I have the tools that I need, or I'm struggling as, a, as, as an employee. I feel very inadequate, or I'm struggling here, or I'm struggling as a neighbor, right? Or I forgot I was a neighbor, whatever. But, but if we can address the things that we are struggling with and bring them and say, Lord, I, I decrease so that you can increase in my life. I don't want to do this without you anymore. You know, one of my greatest struggles, just to be honest, is I, I get marching orders and I'm off. And the Lord's like, um, did you want me to go with you? And I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me slow down. All right. So Joseph, remember Joseph? Joseph was given a dream. He was given a dream, and then all we know that his brothers were over his dream before Joseph got to tell his dream one more time, and they basically sold him off into slavery, right? And then he goes into um, Potiphar's prison, right? And so Joseph was given the dream. You and I have been given dreams, but oftentimes we dismiss those dreams or those visions because we don't see anything coming to pass. But I want to suggest to you today that the reason that God has given you a dream 
in your heart when you see nothing is to sustain you until you begin to see God move. And oftentimes, like I said, he is not, we are not waiting on him. He's waiting on us. He's waiting on us to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. He's waiting on us to, to surrender it to him so that we can bring it all into his presence and say, here's my mess. Help me, Lord. So not only, oh, on the flip side of that, God gave the promise of the promised land, right, to 1.5 million people, right? But they let fear get in the way, and of those 1.5 million people going to, got to enter in the promised land. And so I suggest to you today that whatever you are fearing, whatever you are afraid of, cannot be bigger than the God that we serve. And to lay down our fears, lay down the things that we think that are hindering us, the giants, per se, in our own land, and to be able to say, God, I trust you. And if you're gonna, this is the, the, the vision that you've given, then you surely have a plan for these giants. You have a plan for every giant. You know, our, our, um, our son, Micah, as all of us know, does not walk, and um, God told, has told us all along he's going to walk. He's given people, every, probably a lot of you in this room, dreams of Micah walking. Yet today, he still doesn't walk. And um, when I was in Steamboat, I was just praying and praying for, like, God, just give me some direction. And he said, I want you and your family to pray, lay hands on Micah every single day and pray. And you pray until he gets out of the wheelchair. And now, that scares people sometimes, because I know that some, most of you, all of you, love me and don't want me to be hurt, right? But this isn't about me being hurt. This is about God being seen. And this is about God moving. And this little boy who we sat in an IEP earlier this year, and they said, he's never going to get any better, the expert in the room. And I said, you can't say that. This is above your pay grade. And on Friday, he walked 1,220 steps. And now he hasn't gotten out of the wheelchair. But that's God's thing. That's way beyond Brian and I. That's God's thing. But you know what? We're going to do our part. And we're going to be part. We're going to be intentional. And that's my next point, is that not only is there a preparation part, but it's about being intentional. To experience God's power in our life, we live by faith and we live intentionally. We, that means that we make choices to live for the Lord. That, makes, that means that the choices, every choice that we make is either moving us closer to the Lord and, and letting his power flow through us or away. And let me tell you, they're not, it's not like black and white. The, the bad choices are rosy and sugary and calorie-free, right? They're everything we want them to be that are pulling our attention. But when we say no to the things of this world, when we say no to the things that just, and even when I'm talking about good, I'm, t- I'm talking about forsaking good for God's very best and denying ourselves and sacrificing and saying, no, I choose, I choose to glorify God in this situation. I choose, and he's not asking us to do more than, than we can do. He wants to do it with us. And so in Joshua 24, 15, it says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in this land who, 
who land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Matthew 20, uh, 12.30 um, in the New Living Translation has been my like, verse that has just kind of rocked me. Um, because we have this idea that we say this one prayer and that we're in the kingdom of heaven forever. And I'm not challenging that or debating that or even want to today. But I will tell you that this Matthew 12, 30 says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. Now, I know that you are in this room this morning because you don't want to work against God, and neither do I. But that is calls for intentionality. It calls for us working with him. It calls for us to be to make choices every single day, to be intentional about sharing our faith and sharing our love and loving our neighbor and loving the unlovable and loving the people that we don't want anything to do with and loving our enemies. It calls to be, it call, God's calling us to be intentional. But you know what? Not only is he calling, this isn't about obligation and prodding from the back. It's an invitation for more from the Lord. But it, but it takes intentionality. It, t- it takes being focused. And if we want to experience God's power, we have to intentionally obey. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord search through the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. If you ever need um, motivation for um, obedience, read the last three chapters of Deuteronomy. It'll straighten you right out. It talks about the blessings for obedience and the curses for disobedience. And I promise you there's not a one curse on that page you want. So if you ever struggle, like, does God really care if I'm doing this? Just check out um, Deuteronomy chapter 28 and you'll be motivated. But it also takes conforming to his image. You know, submission isn't submission until we disagree, right? If If we agree, we're in agreement right? But submission to God's word is when we don't agree. It's like the disciples said, but because you say so, we'll try this. We've already tried it. We know better, but we're going to just try this just because you said so, right? And that's how our, our attitude towards the Lord should be. Does God care about obedience? He absolutely does. See how much time he spends in his word talking about it. And kind of, we don't want to hear this in the church oftentimes. I think the American church at large, we want to hear how great we are and how good. But you know what? We, we are great, but it is just the righteousness of Christ. And he, he stands in front of us. But we also, if we love him, we'll obey him. That's what the word says. And it's also choosing every day to let his supernatural power come through us, to conform us. You know, in Daniel... Um, Daniel 1, 8 through 9, it says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him to not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And, you know, this very act, Daniel was risking his life. But he said, please, I don't want to defile the Lord. And you know what? Daniel was intentional. And then God gave him favor. Do you see the order of that? It's usually us stepping out in faith, and then God meets it and does what we can't do. But oftentimes, we want God to do something we can't do, and then we're going to step up and step in, in faith. And you know, the invitation is to do it just to walk in faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
and to experience God's power, we have to live expectantly. We don't have to. We actually don't have to. But we have an invitation to. And if we want the more of God, then we have to expect him to move. I love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I would have named my boys that had I not felt like they would have gotten bullied. Um, but I just love them because, you know, they said in, in Daniel three sixteen through 20, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, we will not serve your God or worship the image of gold you have set up. You know, they were expecting God to move. They were expecting God to move in a way that if they didn't, they were going to be completely obliterated. I mean, being turned, thrown in a fire is bad enough, and then being turned up 10 times hotter or whatever it was. I mean, they were going to be gone. But they stepped in that because they knew that God was going to move. You know, um, Lily, our friend Lily, was on a, she was with YWAM, and she was on a DTS, which is a discipleship training. And so she was in a Although she speaks several languages, she was in a, a foreign land where she didn't speak the language. And a lady came out of a little hut, and she had an elderly lady, and she had a tumor just in her stomach. And she said to Lily, the interpreter, um, said that she wants you to lay hands on her so that the tumor will go away. And so Lily was like, "Oh, okay." And so she laid hands on this on this lady. She had a little mustard seed of faith, and she said, in English, God, this lady thinks you're going to heal her, and I don't want to be embarrassed, so please do something. And the tumor shrank. It's the little bit of mustard seed of faith. It's expecting God to move in your situation. It's not always running and looking for something else to fulfill you. It is expecting God to move. He is the only one who can fulfill us. He is the only one. He is the answer to every single problem we have. You may say, but you don't know what I'm dealing with at work, or you don't know that I'm trying to get all these accounts. You know what? God does, and he still says, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life through every single problem you'll ever have. You know, um, in um, Martin Luther King um, stood on August 28th, and he delivered his famous speech, I Have a Dream. And he understood that the reality of the world that he was dealing with at that point, but he also refused to accept it. He had hope for mankind as I do for the church, that there must be more. This can't be all there is. 2,000 years ago, Jesus breathed his final breath. Three days later, he arose from the dead, and he walked out. Something new was born, and it was the church. And he said, the gates of hell will not contain the church. The church would be the vehicle he chose. We are the vehicle he chose to transport light to a dark world. Hope would be restored. The blind would have sight. The lost would have a home. 
and people of all nations would be united under one name. And then 2,000 years later, the church is struggling. The world sees the church as narrow-minded, shallow, and judgmental. And 2,000 years later, the church is being pushed into the margins of our culture, where God's people are supposed to shine God's light and his love and his mercy and his great grace into the world, paralyzing the darkness. But 2,000 years later, we are not seeing that like we expected. And in the words of Dr. King, he said, it would be fatal for us to overlook the urgency of the moment. We can't return to business as usual. Status quo is not acceptable posture. The church can't be satisfied until every person has food and water. The church cannot be satisfied until every man and every woman experience freedom from these chains of sexual slavery and forced labor. The church cannot be satisfied until every man and woman hear the gospel. There is work to do. And yes, the church has made many mistakes, but I have hope. I believe in the church. I believe that Jesus still reigns, and I believe that the same power that breathed life into Jesus, into a dead Jesus, is going to bring the church back to life, bring it main stage for the world to see. I have a dream, and I want to share it with you. I have a dream that the American church will wake up from her slumber and rise up to be everything that the Father intended her to be. That Christian men and women will no longer be lukewarm and expect the pastor to do the job, but will rise to truly affect the char- reflect the character and nature of Christ. That they will step out in faith in every area of their lives, preaching the gospel and expecting miracles, signs, and wonders to accompany. I have a dream that the church will be more than an optional hour of worship on Sundays. That Christians no longer think of the church as a place to go, but rather something to be. I have a dream that one day churches will be unified under one name that holds us together rather than the many issues that separate us. I have a dream that one day the church will be known as the center of creativity and excellence. I have a dream of a building that the community comes to and flocks to for prayer or any time they are struggling or suffering for, and they are met with answers. I have a dream that one day the church will display God's redemptive grace of Christ, accepting outcast, that no level of sin will be too much for the church to embrace and to see God's redemptive power in, that prof prostitutes will not be no longer be marginalized but will be loved and accepted and prayed over until they receive God's redemptive love. I have a dream that one day the church will fear God more than people and that they will step out in faith and allow God to show his miraculous power through them. I have a dream that the regret of not sharing the gospel will greatly outweigh the fear of doing so. I have a dream that one day the church will cast a vision as large as the God we serve. I have a dream that one day the church will be so overcome with passion that it spills into every workplace, neighborhood, school, campus. I have a dream that one day the church will be known for faith, hope, and love, but mostly love. 
I have a dream that women and men will choose to obey God over their feelings and that the divorce rate will go to zero because people will get help for their problems rather than deny them. I have a dream that Valley Metro Church will be the epicenter of revival. And as the mothers and fathers of the city, that we will rise up, we will pray like never before, we will obey like never before, and we will commit to holiness by laying our lives down for each other and for the people in the city of angels. That we will become comfortable with the idea of being uncomfortable. That we will live a life of faith in God. That we will throw off everything that hinders us. And we will experience his grace and power until he comes for us. Let's pray. The worship team can come up. Lord God, we love you. I pray for every single person in this room, Lord God, that you would reignite or ignite or pour gasoline on the fire that flames within them. Lord, that they, the hunger that they feel, that they would know, Lord God, is not ever going to be met by another person, that it will only be met by you. Lord God, I pray that we would be a church, Lord God, that loves well. Lord God, and that Sunday mornings are only a little bitty piece of our passion, Lord God, for you, and that we go out into the world with the good news, Lord God, that we plunder hell and we populate heaven, Lord God, because of your great name, because of what you have done. Lord God, we ask, Lord God, I pray that today as a prayer team comes up, Lord God, that no matter what we're struggling with, that we would be bold enough to step out in faith and to know, Lord God, that you, you are going to mind the gap, that you are the gap filler, that you, Lord God, that we don't have to be ashamed of the fact that we're struggling. We only have to walk in faith and say, I need his help. Lord God, I pray that we would be a people that truly walk in your grace, that we exemplify your love, ignite our creativity, ignite a spirit of excellence in us. And Lord, help us to know our identity. Fill us up, overflowing every single person in this room so that they know, Lord God, how much you love them. Because without your love, we can't do anything. We love you, love you. We love, 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 love you, Lord. Help us to walk it out in victory. Help us not run towards the cross, but away from it, knowing that it is finished. We have it all. We just need to walk it out. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.